0: To discuss today's headlines, I'm delighted to welcome back Stuart Allcroft, Asian Fund Management Industry Consultant. Good morning, Stuart. Good morning, Stephen. And Carlos Casanova, Senior Asia Economist at UBP. How's your day, Carlos? Good morning. And great to see your face in our Admiralty studio. So just a reminder, we'd love our listeners also to join in the conversation. So if you have any questions for our guests or comments on their answers, WhatsApp us on 68998518. Now, Carlos, there was recent news from China on the industrial profit sustained decline, which I don't think we've talked much about. How does this impact the bigger picture for China? And I'm keen to get your latest thoughts on the potential for China's economic recovery.
1: Mm -hmm. Carlos? Yes, that's an excellent question. Industrial profits um, were very negative um, so far this year. Um, The latest reading was minus 20%. Um, and that is uh, correlated to weakness in the manufacturing sector. And of course, we are seeing that on multiple fronts. Um, on the industrial profits, um, April data was weak, um, especially when you look at the sequential momentum, there was a significant loss in sequential momentum. Um, and also when compared to the average of two years ago, so excluding base effects around COVID last year, um, industrial, profit, industrial production actually was negative. Um, so we are seeing sustained weakness in the manufacturing sector that's translating into um, weaker factory gate prices so PPI was was very negative and minus 3.5% and those two are significant, significantly correlated that's why um, although you know low inflation is good from a consumption standpoint when you have um, disinflationary trends in particular uh, upstream with factory gate prices that is very negative for the economic recovery because profits go down and when profits go down we see um, Chinese corporates especially on the manufacturing front reducing capital expenditures and also reducing the pace at which they increase um, labour creation so we have a weak labour market and we have a weak investment uh, manufacturing um, you know nexus dragging on this recovery and for that reason we are seeing much more negative sentiment around Chinese growth and Chinese equities um, and we do expect that um, at least this month and, and next month you, a lot of the Um, analysts will be revising down their growth forecast for China.
2: I I think as well you're finding that the consumer consumer has probably stopped buying goods in China um, after the very long period where uh, people were locked up in their flats Um, during covid um, the expectation was that people would be let out on the streets as it were and then start buying heavily and that's just simply not happened and um, what we are in fact seeing is a lot of lot of the consumers in china are instead saving saving money rather than spending it they still there's still a very heavy level of debt uh, particularly in the property sector, of course. And uh, the consequence of this is that um, the the manufacturing sector is weakening because there isn't the need to produce the level, level of goods that they were uh, producing two or three years ago.
0: Yeah, and not just buying goods, but not buying stocks, uh, bearing in mind how important small investors are to the China market.
2: Yes. Yes, well, the stock market has benefited, um, of course, because the consumer has been out there buying mutual funds. The mutual fund industry in China has has mushroomed up from next to nothing 20 years ago to second largest in the world, um, and that's that, that's a positive. But a lot of the money has been going, in recent times, back into money market funds, where uh, previously – well, money market funds have always been popular since they were first launched in China. But we are now seeing uh, less activity going into um, uh, China stocks, uh, equity funds. uh, uh, And uh, I think that is what's causing a level of slowdown in the market. Uh, It doesn't mean to say that won't happen and won't change, but uh, clearly um, when Chinese investors have been used to having double-digit returns, uh, 20% plus uh, in a year in some instances, that's clearly not happening right now, um, and uh, the Chinese markets are, are well down. But if you're a foreign investor into Chinese markets, not only are the Chinese markets well down, but you've also seen the weakness of the renminbi against many Western currencies, which has in fact exaggerated the losses.
0: Yeah. Well not only you and uh Stuart and Carlos um negative about the China market at the moment, but BNY Mellon has joined several other asset managers by turning neutral on Chinese stocks and bearish on the Yuan. It's actually recommending investors invest in equity in Thailand and Singapore's proxies to China's reopening. Do you think that's a good strategy, Stuart? No. In a Um, word, (laughs) tell me more.
2: Thailand is uh, an entirely different market. And clearly, with the very recent election and the... not Well, there is uncertainty, yes, of course, there will be uncertainty about what the next government will be, Um, and the the military have not yet finally decided on that government. So I I think if you're buying into Thailand as a proxy for China, that's the wrong move. Uh, Singapore is a different market altogether, Um, and uh, clearly there aren't a lot of... Things that are closely related between Singapore and China, uh, in my view, anyway. Okay, so Singapore uh, th- might be a better the, bet. The, the, uh, actually, the more interesting aspect mm. of the of the particular report you cite from BNY Mellon was that it was written by someone in Singapore, mm. and um, they weren't actually sell, uh, suggesting that you sell China; you continue to hold China. But buy more in other markets and uh, and using uh, these uh, Thailand and Singapore as proxies is not such a good idea. Um, In fact, as we've discussed in previous weeks on this show, um, Japan has been a much better proxy for China and the Japan market has moved up very, very strongly in the last 12 months uh, and particularly this year as people, uh, certainly international investors, have been... um, have been using Japan as their proxy for
0: China. Okay, so your, your vote would go for Japan. Yeah. How about you, Carlos?
1: I would not say that Japan is a proxy for China, to be honest. Um, we have seen our performance. Um, we have seen our performance in Japan, Taiwan and South Korea. Um, and a lot of that can be traced uh, to individual names uh, that have benefited from this whole um, AI Uh, frenzy. Um, So if you buy into that theme, definitely those markets have outperformed. Japan um, is also interesting from a monetary policy standpoint because of the divergence with the US and there's a lot happening on that area. So definitely an interesting market to consider. I wouldn't say it's an alternative to China. What we have been seeing amongst amongst international investors is um, specifically those that are worried about um, geopolitical tensions in the context of this potential China reopening is them buying into consumption names outside of China. So companies, um, uh, in the luxury segment in France, for example, mm. um, where, you know, assuming that there is an increase in outbound travel from China would benefit from this uh, tendency. We are seeing uh, those trades as, a, as an alternative to China more so than um, other markets in Asia, which have been outperforming for a series of other reasons. So many
0: other opportunities and not just Thailand and Singapore to look at there as alternatives. Um, now, I don't know whether you heard our new news headlines this morning, but it was refreshing not to have one on the debt ceiling but what there mm. were a lot of headlines about was ai and particularly nvidia shares which are going crazy at the moment now my background is actually dot com and fintech and i'm worried this could be another bubble since i've experienced the couple and we all know what happens to bubbles Stuart, are you worried this could be a bubble waiting to burst well
2: um no i don't think this is a bubble yet um but I, of course nvidia has got well, got went past the $1 trillion market capitalization on Tuesday. So um, that would suggest that it's um, certainly very popular. It's, uh, it's joining Apple, Amazon, Alphabet, Microsoft as trillion-dollar companies. Uh, it's done extraordinarily well over the last few years, NVIDIA. It's got the right chips for the market. That's why... People are buying its products, and therefore they're buying its share price, and uh, that's pushed it up massively. Um, Will this last for very long? Who knows, frankly. Um, But, uh, of course, one of the areas that NVIDIA has been very closely associated with is the sort of uh, AI applications, uh, chat box. And, and, and the like, and this is um, the current theme of the market, isn't it? Everyone's talking about AI
0: and uh,
2: how AI is going to take over our lives, and 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 then some people are also talking about how it's going to kill us. So,
0: <laughs> pretty you know, extreme, yeah, isn't it?
2: So yeah. it um, and, and Nvidia is um, a key part of the um, of the whole system, as it provides many of the chips that do
0: this. So, Carlos, what do you think? Is AI just a new shiny object or
1: will the upward trajectory continue? Well, as, as Stuart mentioned, I think, um, you know, you, you always have ups and downs in the market. Um, I'm I'm not sure how many one trillion dollar companies we, we can have, um, but it is the beginning of this um, of this AI rally. Um, Investors have been focusing on some of the semiconductor names that are also AI plays um, and that's coinciding with the recovery in the semiconductor cycle. So that's definitely going to help um, on the margins. Um, But we think that uh, it should be important for investors that are considering the AI play long term to look at where this technology could be applied um, to induce efficiencies uh, in um, the production processes and uh, a lowering of costs. We think that's really where we're going to see a lot of the upside longer term for AI, even if uh, short term, you know, there's a lot of money chasing a few, few names that are linked to the AI frenzy.
0: Okay. Well, moving on to AI, to another kind of relatively new Bitcoin, cryptocurrency. Now, Bitcoin's been interesting recently because it seems to be going through a bit of an identity crisis of whether it's a risk asset Or is it hedge against risk? Now, I was actually thinking, because I know a bit about cryptocurrency, I I worked for a crypto firm for some time, and I thought that Bitcoin would go up due to um, the debt uncertainty um, as the traditional financial markets looked threatened. But that doesn't seem to be happening. Bitcoin is acting a bit like a
1: stock. What are your thoughts on that, Carlos? Um, I I think uh, Bitcoin... uh, in terms of how I think about it is uh, still a very speculative um, uh, investment and so whenever you have uncertainty around something as critical for the global financial system as uh, US treasuries that leads to an increase in uh, risk of sentiment so we saw a sell-off in risk assets and Bitcoin would fall part of, of those types of assets. Um, of course Bitcoin has a a Component to it, which is an alternative to to the to the U.S. government. So, uh, potentially through through that channel, um, there might be a, a bit more demand. Um, but insofar as um, mo- most Asian investors, uh, I think it's still a small, small, small asset.
0: Well, uh, thank I, you I would, to Stuart just a quick that? word then from you uh, Stuart sorry I, don't,
2: I, I just think Bitcoin is a, a considerable risk and not something that one would do if um, you've got other alternatives
0: well I'd love a longer chat with you about mm-hmm. that at some later stage Stuart but we'll get back to you on that one thank you to Stuart Allcroft Asian fund management industry consultant and Carlos Casanova senior Asia economist at UBP still